in-depth conversations, matchup breakdown, everything a Steelers fan could want. This is Fourth Down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, friends, neighbors, Romans, countrymen. It is Fourth Down in the Steel City. I'm Chris Mack. He's Josh Taylor. Today, we build the game plan for Steelers Jags. But before we dive into that headlong, we remind you to subscribe and follow the podcast in whatever app you're using to listen to it right now. We thank you, first of all, but be sure you're following and subscribe so that you get notified as soon as new episodes are available. Feel free to interact as well. Leave some comments, leave some reviews, uh, leave some ratings. All of those are welcome. And don't forget, you can watch the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're waving right now. Hi there. How are you, friends? On YouTube, 93.7 The Fans YouTube page. Uh, we uh, This is one that I'm, I've been so back and forth on all week, Josh. But Steelers, Jags, I will say this. I feel a lot. I feel very similar that this result could have a similarly positive impact as the win in L.A. And for those that listened last week, they know we talked about what a positive it would be for the Steelers' long-term hopes this year if they could win in L.A. because of the way the rest of the schedule set up. I think the same still holds true because of the way the schedule sets up. If they can beat Jacksonville on Sunday, this is huge for actually competing for the division title down the stretch, possibly, um, for having a lot... Not not battling for a wild card in week 18, but maybe battling for positioning. Believe it or not, a team with one of the worst offenses in the NFL could be headed to the playoffs and if they could just get one or two games to break the right way. And this is one of those key games in the middle of the season that I think we probably had circled on the calendar before the year. At least we had an eye towards it. And now it's definitely circled in big red markers. Yeah, it becomes that much more important just because of the fact that you talked about all the implications of it all. But the fact that they won both of their division games already mm-hmm. before they get to this point, the fact that they're 4-2 and two going into this game, I think makes it a lot more important because you talked about the division implications, but the playoff seeding part is the really important thing for me because the way this season could break in the next couple of months, we could see this team either win the division and host the playoff game, or let's say they do get in as a wild card, this might be the team they go to visit. That's, I would, that yeah. Actually, that was my expectation going into the season, that this is the team they right. would visit in a wild card game. Yeah, we when we when I still remember distinctly us going through our predictions before the season started and saying, okay, what do you got? Uh, I got the Steelers getting bounced in the wild card round or the division. No, 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 the, the wild card round, they, they'll, they could get Jacksonville because – we all had Jacksonville's presumptive yep. AFC South champion. And just the way we looked at it and lined it up, we're like, oh, oh yeah, we could see the Steelers going to Jacksonville in the first round and maybe stealing one. And so this, you're right. This could be a little bit of an early preview of that, depending on how the rest of the, the season plays out. But speaking of the rest of the season, before we start to build Sunday's game plan in particular, just look at the schedule. If the Steelers, even if they don't beat Jacksonville, now I will say, After we lay this out, you're going to see why the Jacksonville game is so important to that delineation of possibly battling for the AFC North crown or just battling for a wild card spot. 
if the Steelers just win the games that they will be favored in the rest of the way, they get mm. one, two, I'm not even going to give them either of the Ohio games. One, two, three, four, five. I'm going to give them at least five more wins, right? Before we even get to the final three weeks right. of the season. So that's nine wins, right? If they were to pull out a win that is unexpected, i.e. at Cincinnati, or, or either one of the Cincinnati games, maybe you consider at Seattle a surprise win, or the season finale at Baltimore, or this Sunday against Jacksonville, where the Jags are favored by two and a half at Heinz Field. Any of those games, just one out of any of those games, the two Ohio games, the other Bengals game, the Ravens game, the Seahawks game, the Jags game. Just win one of those six. I'm not asking too much here. One out of six that's, where you're not going to be favored. I think, they can win at least, I think they can win at least two, to be honest with you. That's 10 or 11 wins. Now, yeah, that's, that's also a, presuming you win all the games you're supposed to win. And that's, right with this team, a difficult presumption at times. But I was going to say, if we've known anything about this team, is that <laughs> they don't always win the games they're supposed to win. And they're always good for winning a game or two that they have no business winning. So it might even out anyway. But it's not it hard to do the calculus for right. for them ending up at nine wins going into the final two or three weeks of the season. And again, like we talked about, playing for the division maybe or playing for wild card positioning rather than fighting for their lives, which is just crazy to think uh, because of the way this offense has looked. The, the one thing you actually do kind of draw some level of a measure of hope from is the way the offense looked in the second half last week. Uh-huh. The fact that the defense turned into offense and then the offense took the reins and finished you know, the rest of the, the journey from there, so to speak. I think that's important. I think it's also important that that last you know, 30 or so minutes of that game or maybe even 40 minutes of that game, they shut the Rams out completely and they played really yeah. complimentary football, which by the way, that's the brand of football you want to play in the playoffs. The way you saw the Steelers play the latter part of that third quarter and that entire fourth quarter, that's playoff-style football. That's what you want, and that's what wins you playoff games. You're efficient with your drives. You're not making a lot of mistakes on defense, and you're not turning the ball over. All of those things factor in as to how you want to play in the playoffs. So if there's one small thing maybe you derive from what this this team's chances could be, maybe that's that one thing you hope that seed gets planted. Yeah, balance on offense, a rushing touchdown. <gasps> I didn't know we were allowed to do that. Three. And, <laughs> three. Uh, they didn't have any before that game, and they come out with three. And also <laughs> d- using different parts of the field. You know, they use the middle yeah. of the field. The big George Pickens third down conversion in particular is one that pops to mind. Um, uh, all of these things. Matt Stafford not completing a pass in the last 20 minutes of the game. That is, uh, that's baffling. Yeah, I mean, all still of these things. Still haven't rattled that one around yet. Th- that's a tough one to wrap your cranium around. I, I'll, I'll agree with you there. But all of these things are good signs. And it's why the Rams win, even though, like we talked about going into it, it's a non-conference game. It doesn't help you in the AFC tiebreakers or anything like that. It's still a huge win because a win is a win in the NFL. You only got 17 games. You got to stack as many of those Ws. Like Jameis, you got to lather them up with some <laughs> Buffalo sauce and Ah, scarf those W's W's. down. Exactly. So this brings me around, though, to Jacksonville. And I don't know. Let's start on the defensive side of the ball for the Steelers. Trevor Lawrence, who 
Every, look, it, it, you can't ignore the amount of growth he's shown since Urban Meyer was cast aside after his rookie year. Doug Peterson's brought in. You can look. I, I look. I choose to to give two lanes of credit for this. One is quarterbacks who are drafted with that kind of pedigree should just naturally progress, right? If they have anywhere theory, near that yes. level of talent, yeah, in theory they should progress like Lawrence has. But it also helps to have a coach who isn't a lunatic and thinks it's, you know, it's Columbus. It's Ohio State. Um, And that has both of those things have helped Trevor Lawrence a great deal. Plus, they've improved the weapons around him over the last year and a half as well. All of this comes together to make the Jaguars look like they have more than just a legitimate offense. They've got a good offense. It's they've done so much. Like with that team, with that roster, and rebuilding mm-hmm. that offense in a short period of time, Urban Meyer—that was what two years ago. Yeah, that's how that's how quickly they did all of it because uh-huh. it doesn't feel like two years; it feels like five. Yeah, since Urban Meyer was coaching this team, that shows you just how quickly they turned things around and just how much they've done in that short span to turn this team into what it is. And oh yeah, by the way. This is a team that also won a playoff game last year. Granted, they had help from the Chargers. Thanks sure. Brandon Staley. <laughs> but at but to, to give Jack give Jacksonville their credit. You know, they came back from a what a twenty plus, twenty seven point deficit to win a playoff game. And they've done all of this in such a short span of time, you almost forget that time that Urban Meyer was there was just two years ago. Yeah. And also it gives you an idea of just how bad their offense was oh, gosh, yes. under Meyer. Because yeah. they're sitting 13th in the league in rush yards per game, 14th in pass yards per game, 14th in total yards per game, and I want to say in points per game, they're they're slightly higher. They're ninth in the league. Mm-hmm. So none of those numbers are overwhelming, right? They're all middle-of-the-pack kind of numbers, but that's how bad they were under Meyer that just progressing to middle-of-the-pack is enough for this offense to go – people looking at this offense to go, okay, yeah, that's that's much better. I remember having that similar conversation about this team and this offense. Man, mm-hmm. if it could just be a middle of the pack, middle offense, of the pack it would be yeah. such a vast improvement. It, it's it, it it's it and it's not lost on me. The irony is not lost that <laughs> the same discussion that's been had about Jacksonville's offense already is now being had about the Steelers. Well, and not to mention the fact that the defensive situation is very similar because Jacksonville is 16th in scoring defense. The Steelers are 17th in scoring defense, but here's here's the thing where they're similar. Both have an edge rusher that has quite a bit of sacks so far in the mm-hmm. season, and both have a turnover margin of plus six. So yep. these, these two defenses are eerily, eerily alike. Yeah, both tied with the Texans, Niners, and Cowboys for second overall in turnover margin. You mentioned the plus six. Jaguars actually lead the league in takeaways with 16. That's crazy. Um, that's that's an opportunistic defense, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, that's essentially what Mike Tomlin said on Tuesday after we wrapped up his press conference was, yeah, this they are a very ball-aware, he called it, secondary, which we'll get to. I think that's the key to this game on both sides, but let's start with the Jacksonville side. You mentioned the similarities really defensively and and, and the similarities overall. They, they start, I think, at quarterback, obviously. If you just look at the numbers – through their first 18 games, it's it's eerie how similar the numbers are. Yeah. Kenny Pickett, through his first 18 games, has thrown 12 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. 
He's got a quarterback rating right around 78. Trevor Lawrence, through his first 18 games, 13 touchdowns, 18 interceptions, a quarterback rating of 72. So actually, Trevor Lawrence's numbers through his first 18 games, not quite as good as Pickett's are through his first 18 games. Make of that what you will. Again, the Urban Urban Meyer Meyer effect. I was going to used to pull the words right out of my mouth before I can even finish the sentence. I say that as I'm wearing red too, which is not, that wasn't on purpose, I swear. It's the Urban Meyer effect more than anything, I think. But nonetheless, I still think it's worth, it's still worth considering. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Kenny Pickett's going to be as good as Trevor Lawrence. I don't think he's as talented as Trevor Lawrence. Um, I think we're talking about two different kind of quarterbacks here. Like, yes, that's the important thing you remind yourself. These are not the same dude. Like, not no. in any way you could possibly compare the two. I know the numbers look very close, but as far as the style of play, the pedigree, just the background, these are not the same dude. And it's easy to get caught up in comparisons with quarterbacks and and styles and things like that. But if you're looking at these two guys expecting one to be like the other, I think you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Agreed. Um, I, I think that there is a talent disparity, and that's not meant as a knock on Kenny. It's not. No, it, there there no. just is. There's uh, apples and there's bananas. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I like them both. Uh, and, you know, I just look at it and see the, the, the functional difference between the two guys. And I, I guess the key to both of them not just through the first 18 games of their careers and now in this game in particular is don't try to do too much. Don't try to do too much because when you try to do too much, you're probably going to turn the ball over. You might get a little panicky. You might fumble. You might uh, throw a pick. And the last thing your offense needs is to be sitting on the sideline while your defense is trotting back out there yet again. And again, not to get ahead of ourselves, but I think that's the key to this game. And where the similarities start are the quarterbacks, young quarterbacks who can't be asked to have the whole game thrown on their shoulders. Now, will Lawrence maybe someday ascend to that point where he can be a guy who has the game thrown on his shoulders? I think so. I think he's on his way. I think Pickett, if everything broke the right way, might be able to be asked to do that from time to time but probably not every week like Lawrence is going to be asked to do someday for Jacksonville. So again, there's that margin, there's that difference in talent level that exists between the two, but they're both trying to play somewhat similar games at this point. I think part of that, and and I think you laid that out really well. I think part of why that is, is because both guys have a very, I won't say similar complement of talent, but they both have the same, I guess you could say allotment of talent around them to where, okay, you don't have to do too much because you got these guys that can do a lot of it for you. Both of them had pretty good running backs coming out of, but running backs coming out of the college game, Travis Etienne for Jacksonville, Najee Harris for the Steelers coming out of Alabama. And Etienne was from Clemson, of course, with Trevor Lawrence. Then you have the receiver situation. You have Calvin Ridley in Jacksonville and also um, Christian Kirk in Jacksonville. And the Steelers had Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. The tight end situation, of course, Pat Fryer-Booth is injured, but um, I got to look up his name now. Evan Ingram, you know, I remember when he was at Ole Miss, he was a really capable tight end. So both of these guys have guys that they can rely upon to say, hey, you don't have to try to be the hero. You got guys here that can help you. Just make the right decision to keep it moving. Interesting. Again, the mirror images here, the Spider-Man pointing meme continues in that both teams – 
have key receiver pieces that have missed practice already this week. Deontay Johnson with the hammy. Not sure if that's playing it safe or if it's a re-injury for Deontay Johnson. And Zay Jones missing for Jacksonville. I think Deontay is much more important to the Steelers' offense than Zay Jones is to the Jacksonville offense necessarily because Ridley and Kirk are both there as opposed to Pickens and eh, Austin Robinson, whoever else. Um, But again, like I said, the Spider-Man pointing meme, the mirror images, whatever you want to call it, these two teams are just so similar that we've even got injuries on both sides that look somewhat familiar. Um, One guy coming back from injury for the Steelers, at least to practice, Cam Hayward. That's not going to affect this weekend's game, I don't think. Um, I think we'll probably see him back. There's hope, fingers crossed, knock on wood, that Cam Hayward is back for the Green Bay game. Um, I wouldn't suspect he's back on a short week for Tennessee next Thursday. Uh, But all that is to say, better to see him back in the fold than to not see him back in the fold at practice. I would agree with that. When that, that alert came on my phone that Cam Hayward was back in practice, and I had to think about it, I'm like, wait a minute. I haven't sent one Cam Hayward y'all tweet all season because we didn't get a chance to because he got hurt in week one. To see the captain back on the field, and think about this. Think about what the defense has done to help them win the four games that they've won, and they've done it without Cam Hayward. And that's considering the fact that Keanu Benton and DeMarvin Leal, those two guys last week were phenomenal against the Rams, especially Benton. The, the number of snaps Benton got, he made the most of every chance he got. And Leal, they're moving him around. And the fact that he's back healthy, you got that out of those two guys and you didn't have the captain. So if you can get Cam Hayward back after this game, now granted, we're not, we're not expecting or at least trying to predict what the, how this one's going to turn out. You assume you win the home game on a Thursday night against Tennessee. If for no other reason than you should, just because of the history of it all. So just imagine having that working for you and then going into this game with Green Bay, with Cam Hayward back in the lineup and hopefully healthy, healthy, helping this defense out. That's nothing. It's nothing but well-timed if you can have that happen for this defense, given the way the schedule is framed out. Although Larry Ogunjobi missed practice on Thursday, so hopefully that's not anything either, especially as we consider this game specifically. He has been. Uh, uh, When Larry Ogunjobi is healthy, and I think that's always a very tenuous situation, but when he is healthy, um, look, nobody replaces Cam Hayward, but he sure as heck mitigates the absence of Cam Hayward. Had a big sack early against the Rams. Yep, in both the pass rush and the run game. Um, So just some things to keep an eye on there. As we continue to progress, I know Trevor Lawrence is also dinged up, but not to the extent that it's going to keep him from playing on Sunday, obviously. Um, When you look at the Jacksonville offense, I'll be curious to see how much they try to push things downfield. Um, I think they're going to have a pretty conservative game plan for a team with a quarterback of Lawrence's talent, uh, if only because... They don't want to put themselves in the position that the Browns put themselves in, that the Raiders put themselves in, that the Ravens put themselves in, that the Rams put themselves in. in. They don't want to put themselves in position to have T.J. Watt or Alex Highsmith or even a Minka Fitzpatrick decide the game. They don't want to do that. So I would suspect especially knowing that Cole Holcomb is less than 100%. I know he's practiced, but who knows how well he'll be, how effective he'll be out there. If I'm Doug Peterson, 
If I'm Trevor Lawrence, if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm just simply looking to slowly progress my way down the field. Not dink and dunk necessarily, but see if I can use the middle of field, the middle of the field to pick up seven, eight yards at a time and not have to worry about exposing my quarterback to the pass rush and the turnover capabilities of Watt and Highsmith. Take what you are given. And I think mm-hmm. that goes for both quarterbacks. That goes for both offenses. Take what you are given because it might be your best bet. What, what did T.I. say? Life's like a chess game. Make your next move your best move. That's how you have to approach this. And I'm not even trying to say that to be funny or drop a reference in. I'm saying that because it's, it's probably the most accurate way you can look at it. And not to mention the fact that Mike Tomlin talked about this in his press conference. He talked about how sometimes that, that early part of the game, that first, gri- first drive, it's kind of like a feeling out type measure where you're trying to see what the other team is doing and how they're responding and how they're matching up with what you're doing. We could see this in the first quarter. There could be a very, very laid back kind of feeling each other out kind of vibe to this where both fighters are kind of just working their jab and just seeing how well their reach goes and, you know, seeing how close the other guy's going to get, see if they'll open up it at all. And, and it has that feeling to it. But if I'm, if I'm Jacksonville, this is your opportunity probably to be a little bit more aggressive especially mm-hmm. if you get the ball first. Because as I say, the early part will be like trying to get that feel for each other. The first team that comes out and strikes the first blow is going to be in a really good position. And I don't even mean on offense. I mean on defense. The first one that capitalizes on the other team's mistake is going to be in a really good spot in this game. So that's another thing I look at as far as, okay, who's, who's the one that's going to force the first mistake as opposed to just being ready to go out and capitalize? Well, and that, in essence, flips the script to the other offense and the other defense, the side of the ball when the Steelers have it. And like you said, I think we both agree that we would suspect the Steelers' game plan on offense is similar to Jacksonville's. Again, the mirror image thing continues here. Keep your young quarterback, like we talked about earlier, from handing the other team the ball and giving them opportunities. You mentioned Josh Allen earlier seven sacks Trayvon Walker on the other side Mike Tomlin raved about him even though uh, according to some measures he hasn't having the best start to the season we still know how good he can be big for an edge rusher built like a D end more than a prototypical edge rusher in their system they've got a big front that should be able to slow down the run although we've seen the trap game we've seen the trap game really start to exploit some things for the Steelers up front, I would hope they continue with that and not try and to be Jacksonville's, silly. And Jacksonville's fourth in rushing yards per attempt allowed, like three points, a three point three or something like that. Yeah, they allow less than four yards of carry, so it's not like it's not like they have you know a, a small number of yards allowed because teams just haven't been able to uh, haven't decided to run. No, they've tried; it just hasn't worked. So and, that's another thing that sticks out. And, and and the other thing that I think sticks out as far as where the Steelers look to exploit on offense, while still remaining somewhat conservative and balanced is this is a much better pair of inside backers, off-ball linebackers mm. than they saw last week. Um, Foye, Oloken, and Devin Lloyd, especially Oloken, very good, very good inside backers who take so much of the field tackles. away. Yeah. What are we? What are we? Oloken has six, 53 solo tackles. What are they, seven That's games insane. in? Yeah, yeah. Seven I mean, games in, he's got eighty-one tackles. That's nuts. He, he's on pace for like two hundred tackles. It's nuts. Um, but he is—he is such—he covers so much ground in the middle of that defense. Oluwokan, 
and does it both ways, both in coverage and in the run game. He's 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 the the difference maker that I have the closest eye on. I know when I looked at free agent inside linebackers this past offseason that would fit into the Steelers' plans, Olawukan was one of the first ones that popped to mind. I didn't have a problem when they got to Cole Holcomb. I was like, okay, I, I can live with that. Elandon Roberts a little less excited, so because he's more of just a run stuffer. And when right, Quan Alexander, when Quan Alexander happened to fall into their laps, I was like, okay, I, I, I can, I can live with this. But Foye Oluokun was one of the first guys I looked at and said, yes, that's a man who's going to be available who can do it all in the middle of the defense. And I mean, we've already seen a guy like that in week one. We saw yep. Fred Warner, and most people you'll talk to that watch football, whether it's frequently or even just a little bit at a time, they'll tell you Fred Warner is the best in the game. Yep. He's not that far away. So you're going to see a guy like this coming around after you already saw the, you know, the arguable best in the game a few weeks back. So you, you've already gotten a taste of what you could what anticipate of how things could go wrong if you make the wrong mistake. So you have to use that also. You don't want to call it, you know, research, but it is a good bit of intel, at least as far as scouting yourself and saying, okay, we know we can't fall into this guy's hands or let he let him be the guy that makes a bunch of plays to hurt us because now you're talking about trying to and we haven't even gotten to the back end yet because that secondary is really good and they're super opportunistic. Yeah. So you got a whole bunch of guys that you got to tread lightly around and not we're not even talking about when you have the ball, just making sure you don't give up the ball. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up Fred Warner as a comparison. I don't know if Olawokin's necessarily as good as Fred Warner. Like he's probably not, but he, probably I think he's, not. But he's not that far away. He's flown under the radar, to be quite honest, because he was in Atlanta for the yeah. first four or five years of his career and wasn't even a starter for the first couple of years because I think, like it or not, a guy comes out of Yale and he's looked at as, oh, cerebral guy, he'll be great on special teams. And da, da, da. You know, People don't look at a guy out of Yale and say, there's my prototypical inside off-ball linebacker. There's my big thumper. But that's what he is. He can come up and stuff the run. He can get back in coverage. And just because the dude went to Yale does not mean he can't do all that physical stuff. He's got both sides of this thing. He's got the physical ability to play the role. And he's got the mental ability to process things. Is he like the defense of Ryan Fitzpatrick? Is that how that works? Oh. Because it kind of feels that way. Ivy that's, League guy. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison. Floats around from team from one team to another team. Yeah, that's not bad. Of opportunities. I mean, he's a sixth-round pick. That's what's wild. And and I think it it really feels like the league is still being introduced to him in, let's see, what is this now? His eight, nine, oh, one, sixth year in the league. People are wow. still finding out who this guy is. Um, he's going to be trouble in the middle uh, on Sunday. I really, truly believe in that, especially as Kenny Pickett continues to try and progress through that that process of making post-snap reads. Uh, I think he did some really nice things. He's kind of a referendum. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but he's kind of a referendum on on what defense is becoming again Mm -hmm. in this league because we started to see that trend toward the smaller, faster, more agile, more coverage-oriented linebackers. Now they're coming back to the big, tall, rangy, strong athletic type. And yep. that's what he fits. So, you know, we, we can sit here and talk about, well, you have to have this, you have to have that. This is old school. Well, I shouldn't say too old school, but 
old school in the fact that he can do both things. He can go sideline to sideline and help in the run game and help in the pass game. And you're starting to see trends moving back to that kind of linebacker. Look, guys are a lot bigger now than they were 40, 45 years ago. Doug Whaley may disagree with me on this assessment, but it's very Hamish. <laughs> it's very Jack it is Hamish. Very Hamish. And I, I think people still don't realize how many interceptions Jack Ham had as a linebacker. I can make the case he was probably the best coverage linebacker, if not of his era, possibly of all time. Yeah. That dude made a lot of plays in the passing game, and it does not get talked about nearly as much as it should but it, it's a good it's a good way to look at it to where hey we're, we're getting back to that point where you know athletic type guys who can make plays like that and be really big important pieces of a defense especially when now granted jack ham's case he had arguably the best defensive front maybe ever in front that may of have him, helped a little bit yeah helping yeah. it make it a little easy for him but he also played in the scheme where linebackers had that much more responsibility Playing in that that defense, that eventually became eventually morphed into the Tampa two under Tony Dungy, which he learned under Chuck Knoll. So all of that kind of comes full circle. And sometimes you do see that with trends in the league, how things come full circle and how defenses kind of get back to maybe what worked back then to start countering what might work now. And who did Mike Tomlin learn defense under? Tony Dungy. Weebay meme. Weebay meme. <laughs> I'm rubbing my chin for those of you watching on YouTube. Shorty, shorty wasn't a cop. Short, short, shorty was shorty was a cop. <laughs> uh, so Ham also has no, the greatest. I thought she was one of Orlando's. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna leave that alone. Uh, Ham also has every one show of the gets best... one. Yeah, I have at, at least one. Every show gets one. Jack Ham also has the best voicemail greeting in the history of humanity. Oh, do tell. It's, it, it's simply, you know, it'll ring, it'll ring, it'll ring. And then it picks up, and there's kind of silence for a second. And then it's just, ham, leave a message. That's it. It's so hard. It's so hard. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Ham, leave a message. I don't know if I'm intrigued or scared. Look, if if I knew, if I knew that it was guaranteed he would there isn't a chance he wouldn't pick up i would call it right now just so we could hear it but the last thing i need is ham leave a message mad at me so i'm not yeah, gonna do exactly it. yeah that, so that's gonna, not worth the risk i'm going to let that sleeping dog lie so we've now gotten to the point where we've compared foyer oloken to jack ham other than which was that, not intentional <laughs> was not intentional but we're there we're no, there uh, in all seriousness, though, I do expect him to be a big part of what Jacksonville does in trying to disguise things for Kenny Pickett on Sunday, knowing that Pickett has struggled somewhat in post-snap reads. Again, I thought he did some things really well in that regard in L.A. I don't know if that was a lack of disguise or deception on L.A.'s part or just a, a matter of Kenny Pickett starting to sort of progress through that that learning curve. Or, I, I say this very tentatively, Mm-hmm. Maybe the offensive staff is starting to figure some stuff out. Is that allowed? I don't know. I, I mean, I, it's allowed for that. It's allowed for them to do it. I don't know if we're allowed to. Are say we allowed it. to acknowledge it? I don't know. I, I forgot to read the rules before I came in. I, I left the, I left the book. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think we're allowed to do that. I, yeah, I, the company manual. I left it sitting downstairs Hold on, on the shelf. So Hold I gotta on. let yeah, me. Sorry. Where's the. Where's yeah. the rule book? Hold on. I'd, I'd go get it now, but we're in the middle of the show. And Let me yeah, uh, let me see here. Uh, let me, appendix A, 
Page 357. No, sorry. We're not allowed oh. to acknowledge that the offensive staff may have right. done something better. Never mind. Maybe they hadn't figured it out. Sorry. No, all, all credit to Kenny. Yep. All detriment and criticism to the coaching staff. So it's just like you pretty much defer to like the last 20 or so years. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. You mentioned the secondary for Jacksonville. I, I think that's important too when we talk about Pickett making those not even just post-snap reads, but just, you know, whether Deontay Johnson is available or not, whether he's 100% or not, I think is a huge part of this. But here nor there, it's still a really good secondary in Jacksonville. I think they've got the ability, much like I thought the Rams had the ability if they wanted to, to try and take one or the other away. The Rams failed to take either away in George Pickens or Deontay Johnson. And I don't know if they necessarily tried to take either one of them away. It wasn't very Belichickian in that nature. And you try to take away what the opposing offense does best. Um, In this case, what I think the Steelers offense could be expected to do best against Jacksonville is because of the pass rush present in Josh Allen and even Trayvon Walker and the middle of the field being, you know, patrolled by Oluwokin is get it out quick to the perimeter. If you're going to, if you're going to throw the ball. Um, once hopefully you've established a little something in the run game, get the ball out quick to the perimeter, but you've also got Darius Williams at at one corner. You've got Jenkins and Cisco on the back end. This is a secondary that can, if they really want to, and they coach it correctly, unlike the Rams a week ago, they can take away one of your weapons for the most part. I'm curious, especially if Deontay Johnson plays in this game. I'm curious to which of these two, whether it's Darius Williams or or if it's Tyson Campbell for that matter, which one of these two guys is going to be matched up against George Pickens? Because yeah. uh, Greg Cosell, who's, who's done film work for years, did a radio interview recently, and he talked about how the Steelers have really started to make it a point to you know run overload to one side and leave Pickens out on the other side against the boundary with one guy one-on-one, and they use that to their advantage, whether it's going yeah. down the field, like ally against Baltimore, that was that, that go-ahead touchdown, or those back shoulder fades that they're starting to throw a lot of, you know, during the course of the game, and they're getting to it worth a point. It's maybe a half a dozen times a game they're taking that shot. So that matchup becomes a lot more important, especially yeah. if you have Deontay Johnson. If you don't, now you wonder just how much you can actually exploit it. If you do have Deontay Johnson, it still has that kind of, of draw to it as to how it could be beneficial for the Steelers. But who's going to be on the other side of them? That could dictate it too. Like I, I don't want to make the Deontay Johnson presence. I don't want to make it out to be more than it is. But like I'll, I'll, I'll go a little hot take-ish here and just say, if Deontay Johnson plays most of this game on Sunday, they've got a good chance to win. If Deontay yes. Johnson does not play at all or only plays, you know, 10 snaps or less, something like that, a dozen snaps or less, I don't know how they win because I would suspect Jacksonville then just takes Pickens away as much as they can. And without Fryer Muth available, I don't know who Kenny Pickett's next crutch is. And I say that, I don't say that again in a derogatory manner, but every quarterback has to have somebody they feel like they can lean on in a moment of crisis. Oh my God, here comes the blitz. I didn't expect it. Where's my hot read? I got to get it out to the guy that I trust most. 
it's Deon- for Kenny Pickett, it's Deontay Johnson or it's Pat Fryermuth more often than not. If it if both of those guys are out and George Pickens is being doubled or bracketed, eh, Allen Robinson, I guess. I mean, is that are we going to count on them- having that? They've got a nice little chemistry. I'll He's admit. done it a few times where Allen Rob where he stood and he got Allen Robinson and Allen Robinson to his credit caught the ball. He's done that a couple times too, but I don't think you're that far off. And here's why, you know, in in the I won't even count San Francisco because Deontay Johnson left so early in that game, so it's hard to right. it's hard to use that for this particular assessment. But in the what three or four games following where they didn't have Deontay Johnson out on the field, we saw moments here and there where this this passing game could make a play like the Calvin Johnson play against Vegas, the George Pickens play against Baltimore. We saw moments where they might get a shot here or get a big play there. We saw several instances against the Rams where it was Johnson or it was Pickens or it was someone else where it was like, okay, it wasn't just one play here and there. It was two different or three. In some cases, Allen Robinson making a play here and there too, where it was a handful of guys making big plays, not just one. There were multiple big plays that were kind of sprinkled in here, and you saw how that started to spread out. You saw the balance in the targets. You saw the moving around with George Pickens on the field. You see him in the you see him in the slot on that last that scoring drive. Right. That, uh, was, I think it was one where they kneeled out the ball. You see that happen there. So all of this really is made possible by the fact that Deontay Johnson's healthy because it's not just about you know who can do all this and who can who can make plays here and there. It's also about making the defense choose who's going to be the guy who beats you because you can't put all the attention on one guy. And George Pickens admitted that. Kenny, uh, um, Kenny Pickett admitted it. I think Mike Tomlin talked about it too. He said, hey, you know, they had to pay a lot more attention to 18 because they couldn't double up on 14. Or they pay a lot more attention, you know, to 18 and they couldn't double up on 14. So all of that is really important, especially facing that defense and knowing what they can do. I do think if if Deontay Johnson can't go, it, it you, we we kind of revert back to. I'm glad you mentioned Calvin Austin in the Raiders game. You revert back to that offense that I don't know if they're able to put really piece together any long drives. It's right. got to be hit a couple. Hit, it's got to be Earl Weaver in the ball in the 1983 Baltimore Orioles. It's got to be hit a few three run homers, three run homers, yeah. and and pray that that's enough. Right, just hold on from there. And that's what Calvin Austin is. He's the three-run homer guy. And I, I, I've been surprised. I was surprised that he was excised from the offense as much as he was, even despite the return of Deontay Johnson. Like, it's almost like Calvin Austin was, I mean, he, he was back. He, he was planted on the bench. I, I don't know how many snaps he got last week against the Rams, but I want to say it was single digits. It, it, it really, here's the crazy part. You didn't see a lot of them, and it didn't matter. True. That's what's scary. Like, you didn't see a lot of him, and they didn't have Pat Fryermuth, and it didn't matter. Yeah. And Kenny Pickett, in the second half of that game, particularly in the fourth quarter, just completely outdueled Matthew Stafford. <laughs> this was Kenny Pickett in Matt Canada's offense in that fourth quarter, and he just uh, played. You're, 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 you're not I know, honest. I know, I know. But just... Go with me here. <laughs> Kenny Pickett in that fourth quarter cleaned that Rams defense like a chicken bone and Matthew Stafford in Sean McVay's system. Mm-hmm. The, the boy wonder himself, Sean, Sean McVay. <laughs> Over six in that last, what, 18 to 20 minutes? Right. That's what we're talking about here. You saw all that. 
And that was without Calvin Austin and without Pat Fryermuth. That's how much of a difference it made, and you didn't notice it. That's what's scary. That's And that's what gives you hope that if Deontay Johnson can stay healthy, right? If this hammy isn't, uh, if, if this is hopefully just a precautionary thing, him not practicing on Thursday. That's what I'm anticipating, and fingers crossed on that one. Yeah. And then three, four weeks from now, once you get through this this homestand, right? The three games against Jacksonville, Tennessee, and Green Bay, and you head out to Ohio, maybe Fryermuth's back. Maybe Deontay's still healthy. Maybe we're rolling in a little more Calvin Austin, too. Maybe we're actually finding some substitution patterns that keep the defense on its heels. Who knows? Maybe Darnell Washington starts getting some run in the red zone. Wild thought, I know. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> it's all of these things add up to where you start to, oh, okay, we've 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 got a multitude of weapons here. And maybe the quarterback is figuring something out. It, it's it, there, There's opportunity there, I guess, if they should be able to get healthy over the next month. It's a good, good way to play possum. Mm-hmm. As far as guys you didn't see, whether injured or otherwise. That, like, a game like last week was a good way to play possum because now it forces people to say, hey, well, we know what this guy can do. We know what this guy can do because we've seen it on tape. And we're not talking about what the other receiver who's really fast can do. And we're not talking about the tight end who can catch a ball pretty much anywhere, especially in the red zone where he doesn't drop it. We know what that guy can do. So it does become a lot more important down the road. Like when you said, if you have everybody healthy down the road, now defenses really have to look around and decide how they're going to try to stop this offense as opposed to what they expect to see or if they're, what they're going to see is that predictable, so to speak. Because now that you know, you're seeing what this offense could be, now you're seeing what the balance looks like in both targets and run and pass mm-hmm. with a healthy Deontay Johnson and a Kenny Pickett who's showing confidence and is able to put everything on display. Now we're starting to talk about that, hey, well, they put up 20 points now and we don't have to have the can they score 20 points discussion anymore. Because now they've done it. We can actually move past that and start talking about how frequently they can get points when they need to get points. Which I know, it feels like it's it's mile markers down the road. Yeah. But now you're closer to that conversation than you were before. Seven snaps. I just looked it up. Calvin Austin. Wow. Just seven snaps on offense wow. last week. Um, but again, cool. Deontay Johnson was back. He got 39 snaps. And he was right there behind Pickens with 53, just ahead of Robinson with 38. Anyway, um, yeah, I I think it's going to be, and I I don't think we diverge very far on this. I think we're all on the same page. The story on Sunday is which defense can force the opposing young quarterback into more, or I guess more crucial mistakes. Because I don't don't think any quarterback is necessarily primed to make multiple mistakes, big mistakes, turnovers. Um, But I do think a lot of it has to do with when and how the mistakes happen again going hearkening back to the la game to the baltimore game um all the way back to the cleveland game the mistakes that happened were that were forced by the steelers defense in those games were huge not just because of the result of those mistakes but because of when they happened you know it i I think of the joey porter jr pick in the end zone uh, the Highsmith uh, fumble recovery, obviously huge because it goes for six uh, against Cleveland. Uh, last week, the TJ pick and run, uh, huge, obviously, because it gets them down inside the 10-yard line. But that one also had the aspect of timing, too. First play of the second half. If you can get just one big turnover from Trevor Lawrence 
either big in when it happens or what it becomes that and Kenny Pickett doesn't give it back in kind to Jacksonville you got a legit chance to win this thing I was going to say the converse because the converse of that of what we're talking about now the converse is for Kenny Pickett from last season it's the Jets game granted it was his first action but that's a, it's the Miami game it's the Philly those game those are the even, converse yeah. it's the Philly game it, it's can you avoid making those mistakes on his end because like you said the Steelers are going to be trying to do the exact same thing that Jacksonville is going to do. And it may come down to, and this is one of those games where people were saying, the Steelers don't want them to take any risks and take any chances. Yeah, this is why. Because this is a game where you they, you can play right into their hands just as much as other teams have played into yours. We, we can talk about, you know, how all oh, they seem to get bailed out with this stuff. But those plays are winning games for them. Mm-hmm. The Highsmith and Watt helped win that game against Cleveland almost single-handedly. That Watt interception against the Rams brought them back in the game. That Joey Porter interception against Baltimore pretty much saved the game. All of those plays are huge plays that start with other teams' mistakes. Yep. So you can't afford to fall into that same trap, or you might be doing the same thing to set up the other team because we've already seen it happen with this offense previously. So just be careful is what we're saying. Don't ask your quarterback to do too much. And Possession is nine-tenths of the law. It's ten-tenths in football. There you go. It's really that simple. It, it, I, I hate to simplify things too much, but you're exactly right. That is, quite simply put, the key to Sunday's game as the Jags visit Heinz Field, don't call it Acrisure Stadium, and the Pittsburgh Steelers for a 1 o'clock kickoff. After the fact, Sunday night, Monday morning, we will have a fresh post-game analysis of the Steelers-Jags game up for you on fourth down in the Steel City. A reminder, if you want to be notified, if you want to get that as soon as it's ready, you got to follow or subscribe to the podcast, however you get your podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and of course, inside your free Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Download it today. Or if you prefer to watch, come on back to the 93.7 The Fan YouTube page. You can also click on the little notification icon down there. Josh is uh, handily pointing it to it out to you right now. This is years uh, of TV practice of knowing like where to point and stuff like that. There you go. Without even having to do weather. That's the impressive part. Uh-huh. Um, so be sure to tap that notification bell and you'll uh, be notified. That's why it's called a notification bell. <gasps> As soon as new episodes of 4th Down in the Steel City and any other videos are posted to the 93.7 The Fan YouTube page, we will be back with a hot sheet edition, a picks episode before Sunday as well as we'll go around the league and talk about what to expect in all these other games. There are some big ones, big ones. Baltimore trying to keep things moving against Arizona. Can Cleveland have a chance against Seattle? Cincy, San Francisco. What about Brock Purdy, Sam Darnold? Who knows? And that's just in the AFC North. We'll get into that on the next episode. Thanks to Greg Finley, our producer. Thanks to Josh Taylor for joining me, Chris Mack. This is Fourth Down in Steel City.